0: Good to see everyone today. Yes, and the reading from Mark 12, verses 13 to 44, you'll find on page 1017 in the Red Bibles with the rectangle on the front, and page 717 in the other Red Bibles. So, 1017 in one Bible, 717 in the other. And this um, reading today is quite long, so I'm going to read the headings. It's a series of different events. It starts with paying taxes to Caesar. Later Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, We know you are a man of integrity You aren't swayed by men Because you pay no attention to who they are But you teach the way of God In accordance with the truth Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy Why are you trying to trap me? he asked Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Verse 18, Marriage at the Resurrection. Then the Sadducees, who say, there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one (coughs) married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Verse 28, the greatest commandment. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, said Jesus said. Well said teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Verse 35, whose son is the Christ? While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, How is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him, Lord, how then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Sorry, They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers Such men will be punished most severely Verse 41, the widow's offering Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put And watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury Many rich people threw in large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Fifteen billion. Fifteen billion. That's the number of coins, at last count, in Australia that bear the image of Queen Elizabeth II. Fifteen billion. Fifteen billion. Uh, That's not even close to how many times her face has appeared in our wallets or purses because that doesn't count the $5 notes that she appears on, and you might remember the $1 note that she appeared on. Uh, And it uh, also doesn't count shillings and pence that you might remember, her much younger face that appeared on currency prior to 1966, $15 still is a large number, but that count will soon cease. From next year, Australia's coins will begin to bear the image of the new king, Charles III. Well, at least that's the plan. Here's a question. Which way does the queen face on our coins? You're all pointing, but if the coin was up here, she'd be that way. You can see her right ear, right? Right? But the king's image will face the other way because in a tradition dating back some 300 years to the last time a Charles was on the throne, when you change the monarch, you change the direction of the minted image. New ruler, new direction for the gaze. Now, the important thing to take away from this discussion is not the, the trivia of coinage, but... We need to think a bit bigger than that. This is about the idea of image. An image is a projection of a person onto a created thing. A coin depicts the image of its owner, the monarch. But you and I are also like a coin bearing the image of God, created in the image of God, What does that mean for us to be an image? As we'll see, our job is to reflect the nature of the one whose image we bear. To reflect the nature of the one whose image we bear. And in order to to do that, we all need to think a bit bigger. As we come to our passage today, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem... And the pressure is on from small-minded people. It's just days before Jesus' crucifixion, his execution. His opponents have been looking for a way to do away with him. And now they come to him for that purpose. From verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, "'Teacher,' We know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? You can leave your Bibles open if you like. I'm going to be coming back to these passages throughout the message. Such flattery they give. They come with compliments about Jesus' integrity. That he can't be swayed, but it's their job to try and catch him out. The Pharisees and Herodians, we see here, didn't usually team up. The Pharisees longed to break free of Rome and lead their own nation. Who was this unlearned man trying to come in and muscle in on their turf? The Herodians, meanwhile, as the name suggests, were big fans of Rome. Uh, they saw the Roman Empire as the way they could protect themselves. They were trying to keep on Caesar's good side. Meanwhile, Jesus has just arrived to a king's welcome. Do you remember we heard about that last week? On a cult, the foal of a donkey. And he's not shying away from being called God's chosen king. So both groups are united in seeing Jesus as a threat to their plan one who must be eliminated and so they pretend to flatter him they pretty up their trap disguising the legal precipice he's approaching they ask him about taxes but in effect they're asking him to choose between caesar and god jesus's answer will expose him to a charge punishable by death and they'll get their way But verse 15, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. The opponents ask about who is the true power, but meanwhile they're trying to shore up their own position of power. Such hypocrisy. And Jesus' answer is masterful. He urges them to think bigger. The Roman coin is stamped with an image. He brings it out so he can have a look at it. The image is of Caesar. And there's the answer right there. Jesus could have ended his statement there, give to Caesar what bears Caesar's image. But then he bids them think bigger. Think about God. See verse 17, Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What is stamped with God's image? Genesis chapter 1 tells us that humans were made in God's image, whether male or female. Jesus is saying your coins might be the image of Caesar, but you, your very selves, are the image of God. Jesus' opponents are too small minded. They're thinking about earthly power, but earthly power is a distant second behind the power of our creator God. It's like Psalm 2. The kings of the earth take their stand against the Lord's anointed one, but the one enthroned in heaven laughs. God scoffs at them. And here, the leaders of Israel have got so caught up about the image on a coin that they've forgotten about the image of God which we all bear. They need to think bigger. Just like coins bear an image, humans bear God's image. The next trick question in our passage (coughs) reveals even more about the small-mindedness of Jesus' opponents. The first challenge was political. This one is theological. A hypothetical involving a seven-times-over widow. The Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, come to Jesus to get him to admit the resurrection makes no sense. From verse 19, teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Small minded. The Sadducees cite the law handed down to Moses in Deuteronomy 25 requiring a woman to marry her dead husband's brother to continue his family line. And they, the Sadducees, paint the trap too by respecting Moses in their speech, but then asking Jesus to condemn Moses. Instead, Jesus calls out their small-mindedness. In verse 24, You are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. They cite Moses, but Jesus cites Moses from an even earlier time, right back at the time of the burning bush, right back when Moses was called out of obscurity by the living God. How did God describe himself at that time? He didn't say, I I was the God of Abraham, that guy back then. Uh, I was the God of Isaac uh, and uh, I was the God of Jacob until they died. No. God is the God of these men because these men still live even though they've moved on from the earth. God has called his image bearers to an eternal life and if we think that that ends when we die, we need to think bigger. There's an African proverb which goes a little something like this, I pointed out the stars to you, but all you looked at was the tip of my finger. You get the point? The signpost is not nearly as great as what it's trying to display, what it's trying to point to. That's why we laugh when we see tourists taking selfies in front of signs Street signs, they've found the welcome to Sydney sign and they think that's really all they need to get a photo of. No, I tell them, go see the Harbour Bridge, go see the Opera House, that's what Sydney's really like. Don't get caught up just looking for the sign. So too we get caught up in small-minded thinking when we take more more interest in the image than what it's pointing at. And it's in this context that Jesus gets an earnest question. Verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, asked a question. It seems Jesus has convinced one of his opponents that he's worth paying attention to. The teacher asks in earnest, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The teachers of the law had argued over this question for centuries. If they had truly valued Jesus, that's the question they would have started with, instead of trying to trap him. Because Jesus bids them to think bigger. If they look at the law, they'll see it's a sign to pointing at the greater purpose. It's pointing to love. Love for God and love for humans is at the very heart of the law that God has given. What's the link? It goes back to image again. Love God in whose image you were created and love your fellow humans who were created in God's image. It's all about image. If I were to explain the image of God in one word, and believe me, it's bigger than one word, it's at least a semester of theological study, I reckon, and maybe more, I would explain it as love. 1 John 4, 7 tells us that love comes from God. God is love, and when we know love... We know more about our Creator. When we obey God, we end up loving more. God's law is love. That's what these commandments point to. When we love, we reflect God's image, which is just what he designed us to do. Our job is to reflect the nature of the one whose image we bear. I think the key to understanding the concept of God's image is wrapped up in understanding love. And that's what this answer is about. And in verse 32, the scribe appears to understand. He sees the law is a signpost. Well said, teacher. You're right in saying God is one to love him with all your heart and to love your neighbor is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices laid out by the law he sees that law as a signpost pointing to god and then jesus says something remarkable to him verse 34 you are not far from the kingdom of god he doesn't just say well done or yeah you're right He identifies a kingdom that appears to be not what they're currently chasing. He appears to identify a kingdom that seems to be separate to the kingdom of Caesar, but also separate to the ones the teachers of the law have been rushing around. For theirs is a kingdom of law only, but the kingdom of God is marked by love Jesus is talking about love for God, love for neighbour, a kingdom of love that is fulfilled in Jesus himself who gave his whole life in service to God and service to you and me. Love for God, love for neighbour. That's what Jesus' kingdom is all about. And so Jesus is bidding these people think bigger by teaching about this kingdom of God, the coming king will be unlike anything they've experienced. First, Jesus shows that humans think too little of this coming king. You know that kid's song we sing from time to time, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do, it's true. That wasn't a song that jesus's opponents the teachers of the law could have sung they were too small minded when the pharisees looked forward to god's coming king at best they thought it would be like a return to an earthly kingdom like that of king david ruling a little patch of land on earth a king just like the other nations have But Jesus points out that the coming kingdom is so much greater. That David was just a pointer to the greater king that was to come. Such that David himself called this coming king, Lord. See verse 36, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared the Lord, said to my Lord, sit at my right hands until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. The coming king is no mere human, but is in fact God himself. That's why even the mighty King David calls him Lord the teachers of the law so far have been referencing caesar referencing moses referencing david small-minded they need to think bigger about the coming of the much greater king the king whose image they bear but that's not the limit of their small thinking from verse 38 jesus said to the teachers of the law uh, jesus said watch out for the teachers of the law They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the banquets and the places of honour. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. These teachers want to be little kings of their own. Little kings. Jesus is talking about love Jesus knows that he is on a path of love that will lead to death in just a few days' time, while these teachers chase earthly gain, acclaim, fame and fortune, riches. Their minds are on earthly benefits. If they could have coins made, they'd have their image on the coin. They want to be little kings in charge and feathering their own nest. Their thinking is limited to the benefits of earth. They're not reflecting God's image, but they're reflecting the priorities of this world. They've swapped their spiritual focus for something they can bank on. They've traded away an eternal God for a nicer house. They've ignored the kingdom of God and tried to become their own king. Tut, tut, tut. They're too small-minded, but aren't we the same? Don't we want to be little kings chasing earth's glory and fame rather than investing in an eternal kingdom? Don't we chase the big, shiny rewards of earthly recognition, of instant gratification, and devalue the things that are much more lasting, much more valuable, love, Heaven, relationship with God? You know, you and I have each sought to be little kings in our own life, seeking earthly benefit rather than eternal reward. How have we done this? Well, there's a number of ways, too many to mention, but do any of these sound familiar? We might choose an investment based on the tax benefit rather than the eternal significance. We manage our career with more care than we manage our family. We choose to show our face on Sunday and be seen, even though we don't need to concentrate during the sermon or or concentrate during the prayers. We spend money on people who make us feel good while the needy starve. Jesus points out this same contrast from verses 41 to 44 when he points the disciples towards a widow. More coins on display. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny Calling his disciples, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. The poor woman drops in two little coins, it's all she had. Around her, many others put in large amounts of money and lap up the recognition that comes from that. But in the eyes of the true king, the widow is the one worth watching because she gives all she has. While the teachers of the law turn their attention to shiny, showy, short-term glory, they're ignoring the total commitment of this downtrodden widow who will go hungry tonight because of her devotion to the coming kingdom. Now, today's passage starts and finishes with talk about coins, So you might be thinking that maybe what links this is a discussion about money. But if we only think it's speaking about money, we're thinking too small. Because you and I know this is about more than money. We might be chasing answers to small questions about what I should do today or tomorrow or for lunch... But those answers must be driven by what the issue points to, because whether it's money or time or rest or authority, these things are all pointing to the bigger issue, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love. We constantly struggle to give, to what, to give God what belongs to him because we are trying to be little kings. The question Jesus poses throughout this passage is, are you ignoring God's kingdom while trying to raise up your own little kingdom? Then know this, you are thinking too small. You'll never really be king. You're just trying to set up a rival kingdom in front of the actual king and that sort of thing is called treason. And the punishment for treason is death. Instead, avoid death. Choose life. Give up your little kingdom and honour the true king. It's not too late. Because though your treason is deserving of death, Jesus has dealt with that when he, the king, died the death that you deserved. That you and I deserve our treason has been forgiven because the price has been paid and so rather than being a rival king it's time for you to submit to King Jesus and join his kingdom the only kingdom that lasts for eternity seems like a wise investment and if you are on the inside of this kingdom then just like a coin bears the inscription of its owner, you now bear the image and inscription of the holy God and nothing can scrub that out. You are in the kingdom. But since there's been a change of monarch from the little king to the great king, then the gaze is going to change direction too away from the things that you used to look at, onto the things that Christ considers important, away from the things that used to take up your time and energy but were small-minded, and looking instead to the big issues of God's kingdom. It's time to turn your gaze to his direction. Instead of consuming your day with small-minded decisions... You need to think bigger. Start with the big questions first. Whose am I? Whose image do I bear? Who is my king? Who do I serve? Answer those questions. And then the smaller questions will work themselves out. Because it's not just about money or time or rest. Your whole life belongs to him. How you rest, how you parent, how you holiday, even how you retire. Since we belong to God, let us give to God what is God's and reflect the nature of the one whose image we bear. You need to think bigger. And the death of Jesus has freed you to do just that. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the death of Jesus who pays the penalty that our treason deserves and makes us fit to join your kingdom. Lord, thank you for the description of the kingdom as a kingdom of love. Lord, help us now to live our lives under your rule, under the laws of love, to love you with all our heart and to love our neighbour as ourself. And thank you, Lord, also for the example of Christ who loved you and loved us so much that he gave not just his money, not just his time, but his very life towards that goal. In his name we pray. Amen.